So this morning we are continuing our sermon series on uh, the epistles of John. And I was, I had, I had three really full days of meetings this week in our denomination and, and during this service. Uh, I was reflecting on, even though how I missed staff meeting, we sent a couple emails back, uh, back and forth with staff, just reflecting on how well our service sets us up for First John 3, or the rest of the service sets us up to hear First John 3 here. John's words of encouragement uh, and uh, love. And that's really what, what John, what this epistle has been all about. The title of the series being Light and Love in the Christian Life. And what John has done is uh, written to people who think that they know everything, who think that they've got a lot of answers and they're very mature, and he's uh, reminded them of the basics of the gospel to go deeper uh, in their understanding of Jesus as the light of the world and deeper in their practice of the love of Christ given to them and poured out into them and through them uh, to brothers and sisters and to those outside of the church and outside of the faith. And so this morning we're going to continue on with reading First John chapter 3. It's 24 verses, but we're going to read all of, all of them. So I encourage you to follow along on the screen or you can follow along in your own Bibles. Or listen. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is now. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Or deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous. He, just as he, as Christ, is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 
And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we see, or excuse me, how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he, know, he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every time a child is born, well before their second birthday, before their first birthday, often even before they're six months old, somebody says, oh, I think she looks a little more like her mom. No, she looks a little more like her uncle. No, I think he looks just like his grandpa. Who does the baby look like? Who does the child look like? That's really what John is getting at here in his letter to the churches. If God is our Father, do we look like Him? What we celebrate as Christians is that our basis for our hope is not our good works. That if it were only and ever totally on our shoulders, if we had to work so hard as to make ourselves look like Jesus, we would be pitied, pitiable. As Paul says, if, if uh, the resurrection didn't happen, if Jesus' resurrection didn't happen, then Christians should be pitied more than anyone. Because the basis for our hope is not what we have done, but what Christ has done in us and what Christ has done for us. And right in the middle of this, in verse 7 of this, these 24 or so verses, John writes to the churches and he says, Little children, do not be deceived. In talking about looking like our heavenly Father or what we should look like as children of God, John wants to remind us not to be deceived because it's so easy to be deceived. And when we become deceived, or when we are deceived, we become discouraged. We become discouraged because we put our hope in someone or something other than Jesus. When we're deceived, we've put our, or we become discouraged because we put our hope in someone or something other than Jesus. Putting our hope in ourselves is one way that we are deceived, a way in which we're easily deceived, a way I've already alluded to this morning, thinking to ourselves, well, it all depends on me. If only I worked a little harder, things would have been different. If only I was a little bit better or a little more likable or, or a little more eloquent, 
If only I had said this, done that, everything would have turned out differently. It's not that our conduct and our behavior doesn't matter. It's simply that we are not that much in control of our world. Sometimes we become discouraged when we are deceived into putting our hope in someone else, a person other than Jesus. And at this time, as we've already prayed uh, about politics, it's easy to put our hope in, in uh, either the re- Republican president four more years or the Democrat uh, competition. Say, well, if only my candidate gets in, then I believe that most or maybe even all of our problems will be fixed. Then we'll be better off. Then the world will be better. All, everything will be, that was wrong will be made right. But I've said before that we can't legislate morality. No amount of, of right laws or, or good policy will help us and teach us to leave sin behind. No, no outward law or policy can make us love our neighbor, love our brother or sister. That's a change that can't come from putting our trust in someone else, even in someone in power. And again, it's not that those things are unimportant. That's just that we make a mistake. We deceive ourselves when we put our ultimate hope in our political system, or in one person. Another way, perhaps, that we deceive ourselves is simply by hanging on to what we, could, we would call it tradition. But John uses the example of Cain and Abel. Why did Cain sin against God, John asks. If you remember the story back in Genesis 3, then you know that Cain's sin wasn't that he got asked for a sacrifice and he didn't, didn't sacrifice. Cain did bring a sacrifice to God. But John tells us, and Scripture tells us elsewhere, that Cain's heart wasn't in it. That his, his heart was evil, his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Now, Cain and Abel and sacrificing on an altar made of stones seems a world away. But I think we, we still are very easily deceived by tradition. Not by, by running away and saying, no, I won't participate, but rather by doing what God asks us to do, but doing it with the wrong heart. And that's not just tradition. That's really traditionalism. It's tradition for the sake of tradition. It's, it's coming to church. It's, it's going through the motions. It's doing all the right things and then feeling like God owes us something. Like the Go Gang, who's been talking about the parable of the prodigal son and the attitude of the older brother. Obedience to the Father that's self-serving. When we do that, we deceive ourselves and we become discouraged. Because we're not in it for the Father's love, we're in it for some personal reward. Scripture consistently tells us in many places and in many ways that when we put our hope in someone or something other than Jesus, we will always be discouraged. We will always be disappointed. This is one of the main ways in which Scripture talks about sin. 
especially uh, using the word idolatry in the Old Testament, putting our hope in someone or something other than God. Tim Keller, uh, a few years ago, tweeted, see, good things can happen on Twitter. Tim Keller, a few years ago, tweeted, he said, idolatry is when good things become God things. When good things become God things. And just think about that for a moment. It's not that we should hate ourselves. It's not that we should hate politics. It's not that we should hate tradition. Those are all good things and have their right place in society uh, and in our world. But when those good things take the place of God, then we are deceived. Conversely, on the other hand, James holds out for us what it does look like to become or to be children of God. And Scripture promises that when we put our hope in Jesus rather than in anything else, that will never be put to shame. Psalm 20, 25 makes that promise, and Romans 10 quotes it, Psalm 25. You see, where we started this morning is uh, also where we're building to. That it's not our good deeds, it's not our good works that build up hope for us or that build up a purpose for us. Rather, it's God's faithfulness. It's God's goodness from the beginning, God's goodness that Mark read about earlier in Deuteronomy 10. It's God's faithfulness and His goodness that give us hope and a purpose even today. In chapter 3 of 1 John, verse 16, John says something very similar that he also writes in in the gospel. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Marianne May Thompson, writing a commentary on the epistles of John, talks about Jesus as the example of love that brings life into the world. And she says, God's love is not simply a thing to be admired. It's rather the power that transfers those who have faith from death to life, from the realm of hatred to love. Jesus, God's love is not simply a thing to be admired. Jesus' life and his death creates a community of love. A community where as Christians, as we've no doubt sung many times, where others will know we are Christians by our love, by the love of Jesus that fills us so deeply that it assures us of our salvation and also that it flows over and flows out into others. And this is where John finishes chapter 3, talking about confidence Where does our encouragement, where does our hope, where does our confidence come from? Well, John says in the last few verses that it comes from prayer and that it comes from obedience. Our confidence as Christians is needed in our world today. A.W. Tozer, writing uh, 50 plus years ago, said, A frightened world needs a fearless church. A frightened world needs a fearless church. And I think as we look around in our world today, we see anger, 
and we see rage and we see rioting. But behind so much of the pain and anger in our world is a fear, a worry about what will come next, a worry about what will happen if I don't get my way. Or what will happen since the world, I'm reminded again, is so far out of my control. A frightened world needs a fearless church. And John says that our confidence comes from two things, from prayer and from obedience. Our confidence comes from prayer in verses 19 to 22. Because in prayer, we get back into touch with God, the God who loves us. The God who sent His Son to show us such great love by giving His life for us. In prayer, we are reunited with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and we taste and see again God's great love for us. And that's why we come to worship on a Sunday as well. Not because we, we're, we're always bored on Sunday morning and we've got nothing else to do and figure, oh, well, we might as well go to church. Hopefully not anyway. And not because we're trying to do the right things or or just do tradition for its own sake. We come to worship to be reunited with God, to hear again of His love for us, and to gain, regain the confidence, the boldness, the fearlessness of a church that knows where our help comes from. Our confidence comes from prayer, from our union with the Holy Spirit, and it also comes from obedience. Because when we begin to obey, we don't do it perfectly, of course. We don't earn our salvation. We don't say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. I'll take it from here. That's none of that. We just simply, simply begin to look like our dad. And then somebody who's looking at us two years down the road, a year down the road, six months down the road says, huh, I think she kind of looks like her dad. I think he kind of looks like his heavenly father. And when we are obedient to God, we get to relish those compliments and celebrate. And it's not just me. It's not just us. It's the power and presence of our God in us, working His good plan for His glory. Let's pray. Father God, we, many of us, as we've said several times already in this service, we need encouragement. We live in a world that is afraid. We live in turbulent times. Maybe that's always been true, but we feel it now in a way that we haven't felt it for a while. So God, in prayer, we come to you, desperate for you to remind us of who we are and who you have made us to be, the identity that you have won for us as your beloved children. And as we close this time of gathered worship and we go out into our lives of worship and mission, we ask that you'd lead us in obedience, not to prove ourselves, but to simply be able to see, to say, and to celebrate that we are your children, that you are at work in us. 
All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment, we're going to stand. Is that right? All right. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing uh, the blessing. That's a song.